Welcome to The Square, your podcast from the Iowa League of Cities, bringing you current and important topics from around the state to your town square with our hosts, Mickey Shields, the Director of Membership Services, and Katie Wheeler, the League's Business Relations Coordinator. Our hosts bring you topics that matter to your town square. Hey, welcome back to The Square. Welcome, Mickey. Happy New Year. Happy New Year it's to you. It's our first uh, episode, podcast episode of 2020. 2020. First of the decade. That is amazing. <laughs> That's 2020 makes you sound old, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I don't even want to tell you what That's year like I was born. That's like Jetsons. This would be my fourth decade on Earth. Wow. Fifth? Fifth. How does that work? Hmm. I turn 40 soon, put it that way. Big year for you, 2020. <laughs> I don't know if I, I shouldn't have shared that. Uh, 40. Feeling it, too. Um, you look it, too, man. Yeah, I am. When the uh, One of the children have a strep yeah mm -hmm. and she this is our daughter she's also been playing non-stop taylor swift i think i told you about this <laughs> blank space yes i, I thought could, weren't you gonna sing it today <laughs> i could almost sing you the lyrics at this <laughs> point but aren't you a professional dancer on the side oh yeah. you're a classically we, trained in the kitchen dancer I mean, <laughs> so yeah you, mm -hmm. song and dance there you go there we are Good thing, uh, we're, good thing we're not videoed. <laughs> yes, good thing this is not like on YouTube Live or <laughs> yep. Facebook Live or something, right? All right, uh, Mickey, what's going on at the league? <laughs> oh, well, it is a new year for the league, too. So uh, as with every new year, it's the uh, start of the legislative session, which just began last week. Um, we're recording in mid-January, so uh, it's an exciting time. Our uh, government affairs staff, Robert Palmer and Daniel Stalder, are, are at the state capitol doing their thing. And we'll uh, hopefully hear from Robert later on in this episode. But that is uh, every year at beginning uh, of January, the legislative session convenes. And um, there's always issues that per pertain to city governments that are really important to our members. And so we uh, have to do a lot of research and start explaining the city story. How can cities get involved in the legislative process <laughs> this year, Mickey? Well, there happens to be this thing called Legislative Link. Uh, that we put out every Friday. So if people want to subscribe to that, it's kind of a newsletter that comes out. It summarizes the bills and uh, action going on at the Capitol that are important to cities. And it's uh, something that's really important. And I definitely get involved with that. We're also doing a new thing this, uh, this year called My Legislative Days. So cities can come down to the Capitol and have, have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with our government affairs team and schedule some meetings with their local representatives, state representatives. Uh, to kind of talk about what's going on with their city, what's important to them. Uh, so something we're doing, uh, we used to have a legislative day where a lot of cities would come down together, but this, I think this is going to be more effective where you get a little bit more of a one-on-one -on -one customized uh, trip to the Capitol to uh, make it a little bit more worth uh, the city's time. I'm excited to hear how all of those go this yeah. year. Yeah. Something else that was released early January was MLA Part 2 featuring none other than Mickey Shields himself with that new haircut that he had. Oh, <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> and So that's a sore subject, but we'll Oh, yeah. Oh, boy, the haircut. <laughs> Mickey, what was MLA Part 2 about? Yeah, that was uh, part of the MLA, the Municipal Leadership Academy series. Uh, part two is online videos. There's our, there are three videos that go with that. So if you subscribe or uh, purchase access, you can watch the videos whatever you, whenever you like. Watch them at home. You can watch them in your office. Uh, the, the videos cover some important parts of uh, city government, uh, including the city budget, which was presented by uh, Sarah Shonrock and Aaron Molinix. 
who are uh, their sort of tandem employees for the ISU Extension and the league. So they cover uh, city budgets and, of course, the city budget season right now. So that's really critical. And then Eric Christensen from ISU Extension uh, did a really nice rundown of planning and zoning, another thing that's really important for cities on land use and building regulations. And then uh, if you can get through those two and you have a little bit more time, you can stomach more of me. Uh, I do walk us through uh, something we call you got elected, now what? So it's a, something for especially newer city elected officials on the, the, the basics of the job, talking about council meetings, the ethics of office, uh, human resources and management of the city uh, from a council perspective. So a lot of good stuff. And again, it's, they're recorded videos, so you can kind of go in and out on those. You can do five minutes at a time or 20 minutes at a time and mm-hmm. watch them at your leisure. Yeah, important stuff for it sure. It certainly is. Yeah, we also need to recognize a couple of our colleagues who had uh, work anniversaries recently, and we're going to hopefully embarrass them with this. Uh, and that's Shannon Busby, who's been with the league for, I think, 50 years now is the, 50 plus, I think the number. I think, 50 yep. plus, yeah, mm-hmm. at least. And uh, then Jeff Hovey, who's been with uh, IMWCA. He's the director of IMWCA for 15 years. 15, yeah. Correct. So 50 years for Shannon. I'm going to emphasize that wow. 50, 50 no, she's gonna kill us. years, no. really 20, 20 years. And yeah. she started when she was 12. So <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Before they changed the labor laws, yeah. apparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but uh, congratulations well, yeah. to them. They Absolutely. both do excellent work for us and, and really work well with our members. Okay. Well, I think we're going to move to uh, the feature uh, presentation, the feature interview Ooh. of this month. And that is an interview with Scott Kleppe from uh, the Solon Public Works Department. And he's the Solon, the public works director for Solon. And uh, it's a really fun interview talking about kind of how he got into city government and also sort of a how things work with city water and wastewater systems. Scott is on the line with us. And we wanted to talk to a, a true expert when, a, when it comes to city utilities. Uh, part of the, the focus of this episode, this month's episode, is sort of a how things work uh, at, the, at the local level. And we're going to take a, a look at a city's water system and our wastewater system. And uh, we thought it'd be fun to, to talk to somebody that does this every day. Yeah, welcome, Scott. Thank you. Yes, um, we're excited to have you today. So can you tell us, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I don't know if I'm excited about being here. (laughs) We will be nice to you, we promise. Yeah. Thank you. No tough questions. All right, Scott, tell us about your background. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? And where have you worked? Sure. I grew up in Cedar County, uh, primarily Tipton, and uh, Finished high school, didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I had uh, very fond memories of my grandfather who uh, worked in a neighboring community called Bennett, a uh, mm-hmm. town of a population of about 300 people. And he was the town man. And uh, I can remember as a kid going out with grandpa and, and uh, picking up garbage in a uh, uh, little tractor and and they threw it in the bucket and dumped it into the dump truck and we hauled it to the to the landfill just outside of town and and grandpa would climb the water tower and and, uh uh mess around in the lagoon you know we had no idea what a lagoon was uh, (laughs) uh, 
when it came time after I graduated high school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Uh, Kirkwood Community College had a water and wastewater program uh, that at that time they actually had operating plants. It was a year-long program where you went in and actually uh, physically for nine months operated the, the treatment plants, water and wastewater. And uh, I thought that kind of piqued my interest in, in following my grandpa's footsteps. And so I enrolled in that, and uh, that's what led to where I am today. Wow. That's that's pretty cool. Not a lot of people could say that, that they got to go out and help pick up trash and, <laughs> and solid waste when they were a kid. But it's not, you never know when, when you're going to you know be inspired to do something later on in life. And uh, that's pretty cool. And uh, obviously, thanks to your grandpa for his service and thanks to you. Um, you know, I, one thing that's interesting about that, not a lot of, I didn't really know this growing up. I grew up in Iowa City, so a little bit of a larger town, but uh, coming here to the league, what you find out, one of the things you find out anyways is, one, is that Iowa is a, a state of rural communities, smaller communities, and two, that they all have, as you said, a town man or a city guy, mm-hmm. as, as a lot of people call it, and that position ju- does just about everything, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Um Right out of uh, Kirkwood, my first job was a community of 800, and uh, you're a one-man show. You do it all, and you learn very quickly whether or not you want to continue down this path or or uh, right. move on to something else. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty yeah. demanding. What cities have you worked for? I've worked for Wheatland. Uh, then I went to work for Tipton. And uh, that was a span of 10 years there. And then I've been in Solon now for 21 and a half years. Wow. Wow. It's a pretty good ride. So what, yeah. uh, you know, on a kind of day-to-day basis now in your position at Solon there, what uh, what do you do? I know there's probably some management, but also some stuff you get your, your hands dirty a little bit. Oh, sure. You know, with this round of uh, snow and ice, you know, I've mm-hmm. been in, uh, in a truck operating it. Um, but every day, uh, Public Works here in Solon is in charge of uh, parks. Um, we finish mow uh, roughly 80 acres every week during the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have a lot of green space, a lot of open areas. Um, we also have uh, sports is huge, and, and sports yeah. is huge in every community. But uh, here in Solon, it really seems like it's huge. Yeah. Um, we have a 55-acre recreational area um, where we have four baseball fields, uh, a regulation soccer football field. We have open shelters, closed shelter. We have what is there five mini soccer fields, a basketball court, a tennis court, a sand volleyball court, mm-hmm. and um, Public Works is in charge of maintaining those every day. Uh, so baseball season, we're out dragging the fields, we're out painting the lines, wow. football season, soccer season, same thing. Um, we're also in charge of the water collection or water distribution, treatment, mm-hmm. sanitary sewer treatment, cl- uh, collection, stormwater, facilities, streets, public works is where everything happens. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so our listeners know, I, 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 Iowa City's right next door, and uh, Solon's a growing community. And I, what is the population up to now? Or projected to be at the next census, probably a few thousand, right? 
or more? Uh, at the 2010 census, we were uh, 2017, I believe, or mm-hmm. 20, mm-hmm. yeah, 2017 or 2037. I'm sorry. And uh, we think we're going to be right at that 3,000, maybe a little bit over. Sure. Um, yeah. So every census, we're growing about 73%. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty pretty incredible to see. And you mentioned the the sports facilities there, and um, that Solon's done an incredible job at the high school level of sports. So it, obviously, it's uh, starting at the younger ages using those city parks and those city fields. So uh, I think you guys deserve a little credit for that success. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. How many people are in your department? So I have uh, four full-time employees under me. And I have uh, one individual, Dave Richards. He's the uh, uh, utility side. He takes care of the water water wells and and, uh, treatment. And then also the uh, uh, wastewater treatment. Okay. So you guys are busy. We are very busy. Yeah. Um, Very Shorthanded, uh, but mm-hmm. I have a great crew, and I ain't kidding you. Uh, probably I'm going to be biased and say I have the best crew a guy could ask for. And uh, there is, they never tell me no. Um, everything is a challenge to get done, and, and we're able to do it. Wow. Well, that's what it takes, you know. That's that that's that awesome. public service aspect of the job, which um, I know is 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 common around the state. But it does take a great crew to do all the things you guys do. I mean, with just rattling that off, it's right. pretty incredible. Um, so one thing we wanted to talk about this episode was the the water and wastewater in particular. And uh, Katie and I both have young children, and we've probably been asked this, and probably didn't have the most intelligent answer. <laughs> but you know, if we if a five year old asked you how water comes out of their faucet or out of the, uh, you know, into the bathtub, what would you tell them? Uh, I would say it all starts with, uh, we get our water from the ground Mm -hmm. and we have, uh, a pump that's set down in the, down in the ground. And it's like a, a river that this pump is sitting in below the ground that you can't see. And it's pumping the water out of this river and it's putting it into pipes and those pipes are connected to their house. And when they turn the faucet to the sink or the bathtub, that water comes out of there. I guess that would be the easiest way I would tell a a young kid that they could Uh um, try to imagine that. Sure. Of course, there's, you know, there's many things involved. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I mean, we can get on the adult side of this, um, (laughs) a few more details if you like. I know that actually I was just talking about this with uh, uh, one of my in-laws over the weekend. You know, they're a a, a regular citizen, I guess you could say. And they were asking, I I have a a limited knowledge, but we talked a little about how the mains run down the in the middle of the street in most cases, and that's where uh, you get your service lines and are connected to that, and that's how the water gets into your house. But again, there's far more to it. One of the things I think that's pretty interesting with water distribution is uh, pumping systems. Uh, you know, so some cities have hilly areas, and that describe how the water may have to tra- traverse some tough terrain to get uh, water into homes. And it's all dealing with pressure. Um, mm-hmm. You know, most communities have a have an elevated water tower, and um, that's what's supplying the pressure. And and those towers are engineered to be at a certain height, so your water levels at a certain height to attain um, pressure throughout the community. 
Um, you you mentioned Solon's growing very fast, and we are growing very fast. And and um, it came time that our water tower isn't big enough to mm-hmm. to meet our demand. And we're looking for the future growth of the community. Those towers have to be sized relatively for your for your need. And there's you can get some some extra capacity by building them a little bit bigger, but you're really um, restricted to the the capacity inside of that the water elevation. So right. a couple of years ago, we built a ground storage tank, and we sized that for twice our need. Mm-hmm. Um, so we needed another 200,000 gallon storage. We actually built this for 400,000 gallon storage, Right. but it's at the ground level. And so we're using pumps to actually pump that up to the other water tower to obtain our pressure. But we also have the capacity, uh, that if we took the water tower, the elevated tower out of service, we could use those pumps and supply pressure throughout the community. Wow. So it's a, it's really is a system of trying to manage what's the daily needs. And then there's always peak capacities when something's going on. And, and of course, a growing community has to always look to the future as well. So there's, there's a lot to consider. Yep. There's a lot yep. in your hands. Yeah. It's pretty neat. Um, so we're on that water tower. That's something that if you really could real quick for, I think, I don't think most people understand the, the purpose, the general purpose of water tower. I think, uh, not every they see the water towers, of course, from the highway, and uh, you know they just kind of say, "Oh, it's holding a bunch of water," but it's really about creating pressure, right? It's creating pressure and having that capacity there for firefighting activities. Yeah, so it it can hold a bunch of water, and it's it's stored for eventual need. But correct. Yeah. Um, so we get our water from the Salarian Aquifer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Slurrying aquifer is, is is great water quality. Uh, one of the things that limits us with the Slurrying is the amount of water we can withdraw, uh, gallon per minute wise. Okay. So yeah, I, you know, I described it for a kid that it's like a river, but yeah. it's actually we're in solid bedrock, and it's the cracks and crevices, just like you. Uh, walk the the creek bank and you pick up a rock or you go out to the quarry and and grab a piece of rock and you can see that there's, you know, each individual rock has some crevices. Maybe it has, you know, a little hole in it or cracks. And that's what's down in the ground. Mm -hmm. And water travels through those those holes, those cracks. Uh, The rock is porous. And so you drill a hole down there, set a pump down the bottom, and it's in a sense pulling that water out of those cracks and crevices. Wow. Yeah. The rock. Um, our wells in the Solarian, we're able to withdraw about 350 gallons a minute. And most fire trucks uh, are, are pumping water at like 1,200 gallons a minute. So you can, if we were running off of just wells, for water capacity, you could see that we wouldn't have the capacity to fight right, a fire, right. a chemical fire. So that's the reason they have elevated towers. Yes, yeah. is, is your capacity, and then also that's what supplies the pressure to the community. Uh, that's really cool. That's it's. I think it's way more sophisticated than a lot of people would realize, and that's that's uh, why we have we're interviewing you is to help us uh, help educate everybody. Um, 
want to shift gears to wastewater, which is, um, of course, another city, city utility that most cities own and operate. Uh, but it, it's done differently, of course. So, again, uh, take uh, my seven, or five-year-old uh, daughter or seven-year-old son, if they wanted to find out what happens when they flush a toilet, what would you tell them? I would say that just like the water supply, there's there's pipes that go to every house. Mm-hmm. And when you flush a toilet, water goes down that other pipe, not the water that they're drinking or taking a bath in, mm-hmm. but there's a separate pipe that goes back into the ground and that runs all the way down to a a plant that is taking that water and making it clean again. Right. So you guys are collecting all of that down at some facility and every every community has uh, that, that owns and operates a wastewater treatment facility, they have some type of system, that, and it depends on their city on what kind of uh, facility they're going to have. Um, right. And there's all kinds of t- different ones out there. The larger cities are going to have a, a some kind of a mechanical plant. The smaller cities may have some lagoons, and there's you know there's hybrids of all sorts of things. But basically, all that flushed wastewater is going down to that treatment facility, and it's being treated uh, to get rid of all the bad stuff, right? That's right. And, you know, we, we do once or twice a year, we'll have high school kids come down. Um, we really like the young kids, mm-hmm. uh, or we'll even go to the classrooms and, uh, we bring them pictures and they're kind of animated pictures of bugs. We call them bugs. These mm-hmm. are the bugs. And this is what treats their water mm-hmm. and they're, they're, animated uh pictures of microorganisms that are commonly found and and ones that we're actively breeding per se um to treat the wastewater and the kids just they just love that that's cool i remember going on a similar field trip when i was in elementary and still remember it to this day those (laughs) bugs like (laughs) i totally remember it Yeah. yeah that's interesting that is yeah, that's something that I I hope all communities do, and I and local uh, kids and schools should take advantage of that if they can go visit your water and wastewater facilities because mm-hmm. it it is really eye opening. I think again, I think most citizens kind of take it for granted how all this stuff works, uh, but it's pretty sophisticated. There's a lot of technology behind this, right, Scott? There is, there is, and then it it really takes a concentrated effort of your operators to effectively know what's going on at your treatment plant at all times. Yeah, especially for small towns because the 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 staffing just isn't there, right? Um, and you know you're always subject to turnover because Iowa City or Cedar Rapids, in our case, you know they pay more, right? And uh, it's really hard to keep a dedicated operator. It is in, in a small community. Um, I'm very fortunate. Uh, we have uh, incentives in place for all the guys in public works, you know, if they want to, uh, an extra 50 cents an hour, um, we'll send them to school. And for each grade level, there's four grade levels in the state of Iowa, uh, exam levels to, uh, further your, mm-hmm. your, uh, certifications. We give them 50 cents for every grade level that they get. Uh, yeah. And we provide all the schooling. So, my entire staff is certified at some level in, in water and wastewater. Wow, that's outstanding. That's what it takes, and uh, that's something like we could go off on a tangent on that about the uh, the need for certified operators uh, in our state uh, at the local level. We've really need to make a push 
to do that, um, there's a lot of communities that struggle to find a certified operator. There is a lot of education and training that goes into it, and and there's good reason for that. These are um, very important systems that need to be run well. But it does. We have uh, we have a shortage in a lot of communities out there. So it's good to see that you guys are taking some proactive steps to keep those folks locally. Um, it, it's definitely a challenge. Scott, if we had a, a listener today who is interested in going into this field, what advice would you give them? You know, I, I'd say reach out to your community and uh, to your public works or your water and wastewater operator and see if you could just shadow with them for a day. Mm-hmm. See if that's actually something that uh, you could see yourself doing. And then there's uh, community colleges such as Kirkwood. Kirkwood still has a program. I believe it's it's an online program. Des Moines Area Community College also has a water and wastewater program. And, uh, you know, reach out to those folks and, and see about educating yourself or getting some education. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not absolutely required that you have to have some, some formal college training. Some communities, you know, are just looking for somebody to, to come in at the lowest level and, and work your way and experience up. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I've I've said it at different uh, meetings. You know, uh, if I was talking to younger folks, especially like high schoolers, and not maybe 100% what they want to do, take a look at this. It's a great way to serve your community, and um, you know, I think most communities that uh, they're they're hungry and they're willing to offer pretty good pay uh, to keep you around. So uh, it's it's, yeah, it's a field small that needs help. Communities are are really struggling to yeah. find uh, qualified people that you know, will actually do them a great service. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, the uh, working in, in for a government, and especially a small town, there, you don't get a lot of pats on the back. <laughs> all, you, all you hear is negativity. Right. Um, right. But there are some perks to it. You know, there's there's perks in knowing that the community you, you are living in, that you have... Um, that you're keeping it safe and, mm-hmm. and you have control of it. That's right. That's right. Um, and that's what it's all about. You know, you, you look at your kids and, and you know you're doing a great job for your kids and mm-hmm. your, your neighbor kids. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's the pride. Pat in the back, you ain't going to go. <laughs> Not well, very often. <laughs> Scott, Mickey and I are patting you on the back yeah. right now. You're doing good work. <laughs> Thank you. No, it's, it's we do thank you, and and you know, everyone out there that does this work, it's it's absolutely critical to a well functioning, successful city. We know it, and uh, people again, I think a lot of people take it for granted. That was one of the things that some of my friends they they can be kind of uh, those. Uh, what, what's the, what's a city do? And it's like, well, turn on your water. What do you what did you drink today? You know, did you take a shower? Did you flush a toilet? Yeah, you did those things, didn't you? Yeah, it's easy to take it for granted, but it's absolutely critical to everyday life. So, again, we thank you for all of your service, and, and we thank you for coming on the square. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. All righty. Yeah. Well, that thank was Scott you, Scott. Kleppe. Yeah, th- that was Scott Kleppe from the Solon Public Works Department. He's their director over there. He's doing great work. And, uh, again, we thank him for coming on the square. All right. Thank you, Scott, for joining us today. That was great. I can't believe how much knowledge he has. Mm -hmm. And one thing I would say that I totally took away 
from his interview is the variety of work he gets mm-hmm. to do every day. I'm sure there are no two days that are the same. Yeah, which, it's, and I know it's common for a lot of our cities out there that they have people like that, but it is sometimes a healthy reminder that just how much uh, city employees do every day. Mm-hmm. And a lot, as Scott said, a lot of times, you, you know, you're not going to get a pat on the back. And or, or thanks very often, but uh, we thank them. And yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we appreciate all the service. So let's move on to our always our favorite uh, monthly segment, and that is the get to know the league interview. So this month, our own Scott Smith is with us. And Scott, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Are you? I'm doing pretty well. Welcome, for, Scott. Uh, thanks, Katie. <laughs> so, Scott, uh, tell us a, a little bit about yourself, some of the basics, uh, where you grew up. Well, first of all, what do you do for IMWCA? Uh, I'm the senior loss control representative, and I don't know if that's because I'm the oldest or just lasted the longest. <laughs> um, but I go out and meet with cities, counties, uh, other members, uh, help them evaluate their risks and keep their employees safe. And when something does happen, help them learn from that so that we can prevent that in the future. Uh, that's, and that's something that we have quite a few members in the IMWCA program, the Workers' Compensation Program. And we have a team of four loss control representatives that go out on the road um, most of the week, in fact, and hitting different cities in your territory, sort of north, central, northwest Iowa. Yeah, basically, I cover west of I-35 and north of I-80. Right, right. So you're meeting with cities and counties and other members that are you know, public entities that uh, have workers' compensation with us, helping them. Your your ideas or your, your purpose is really to help them improve their safety so they work smarter, work safer, and everybody gets to go home. Exactly. Right, right. So really important stuff. Um, we take that very seriously here at the League. Uh, that's something that our members, I think, uh, the ones in the program have really improved their safety. So thank you for doing that. Uh, how long have you been with us? Uh, a little over five years now. Five, five uh, golden years. Yeah, it's it's gone Glorious. by quite quickly. <laughs> yes, it sure It has. does go fast. I agree. Yeah. Scott, a little background. Where were you before this? Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? So uh, prior to coming to the league, I was with uh, Boone County. I was a department head there for just shy of 17 years, ran the Regional Solid Waste Agency, Health and Sanitation Department, uh, and Keep Boone County Beautiful, mm-hmm. and uh, thoroughly enjoyed that. Prior to that, I'd been in uh, Chicago, before that in Des Moines, before that Arkansas, before that uh, originally from Pennsylvania, so uh, a couple hours outside of Pittsburgh is where I'm originally mm-hmm. from. That's cool. Hmm. I did not know that. Yeah, my family's from uh, Nebraska in Iowa. Um, and I noticed that as everybody got to a certain age to either graduate college or retire, they moved back out here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was, I was uh, the only one left standing. And so I decided, to me, Iowa's always been home, and I wanted to get out into the Midwest. And uh, did that back in uh, 1989. That's cool. Hmm. So a little bit different than uh, working here has been a little bit different than your Chicago land experience. Yes and no. I uh, when I was in Chicago, I worked for a, a council of governments uh-huh. uh, right outside the city that uh, was contracted to run a regional solid waste agency. <laughs> yeah. So it's very similar in terms of the approach to the league being contracted to run IMWCA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've I've worked for uh, this is now my 
fourth council of government type situation mm-hmm. I've worked for. And I, I like this, this level. It's, we have a good impact on, on our members, and we're not so far removed that we don't know who they are. Right, right. So when you are not here helping out all of our members, what are, can you be found? What are you up to? Uh, well, my lifelong hobby has been uh, working on old cars and trucks, and uh, I have a small collection, uh, which means I can never get in trouble with gambling uh, <laughs> or uh, anything else because I don't have any money. <laughs> right. my, my wife feels very secure with my hobby. And, uh-huh. That's uh, good. But I, I've, I'm a mechanic. I like wrenching on stuff. Uh, taking something of a piece of industrial art and bringing it back to life. Right. What's your favorite car or truck? Uh, my favorite uh, car is uh, my old Torino station wagon mm-hmm. uh, with the <laughs> nice. fake wood sides. Uh, <laughs> yes. I, I searched for 13 years to find one of those because my dad had bought one new and it brings back a lot of memories. Mm-hmm. And my, my favorite vehicle is my uh, old Ford pickup. I've had that longer than I've been married. And uh, <laughs> the wife knows that very well. <laughs> <laughs> Your first love. Was <laughs> yeah, right. No, we should. Uh, you Do you drive up. your station wagon? Oh, yes. Yeah, all mine are drivers. None. Huh. They, no, they don't go out in weather like this. Right, but, right, right, right. No. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I enjoy actually driving them and using them. They're not, uh, as they call, trailer queens. They're, they're, <laughs> not, <laughs> they're not that uh, perfect. Uh-huh. We should mention well, you bring fun. up your wife. That she's a retired city clerk. Correct. Correct. Um, in fact, when I met her, she was city clerk at Johnston, mm-hmm. and uh, we got married a, a couple years later. And I we went to Chicago, and then we came back to Iowa. Uh, she pretty soon was right back being a city clerk. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. cool. That's cool. All right, Scott. What's the best career advice you've ever received? The best career advice I ever received was uh, two weeks into my uh, master's degree. Uh, I was going into city finance, city management, and my advisor called me in, uh, and she said, you know, I've, I've really got to know you these last couple weeks, and I think we need to change the focus of your life. And I said, why? She said, you've never outgrown your Tonka years, <laughs> and we need people like you in public works. And so... I still got to use my finance background, my management background, but it was the best advice I've ever had. Go with your strengths and mm-hmm. what do you like. Um, I've never been trapped in an office, um, and I thoroughly enjoyed my, my 30 years in, in public works. It was uh, very gratifying, and, mm-hmm. and God bless. That's uh, the mark of a great advisor. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. yeah. So when you get advice like that, Sometimes it comes out of left field. Mm-hmm. Right. Really sit back and reflect on it because it certainly wasn't what I was thinking, but mm-hmm. I'm really glad I, yeah. I pursued it. Right. Yeah, you never know. You never know. So wh- uh, what do you enjoy? I mean, you kind of covered this. But what do you enjoy about working here at the league? First of all, it's a great bunch of, of people. Uh, I'd heard about um, the league staff for years from my wife, um, and being a member of IMWCA for many years, I got to know uh, the folks who work on, on that side. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, it was the opportunity to come work with people I respected uh, and had a, a heartfelt passion for what they do. I don't think we have anybody working in this office that isn't fully committed to the mission of the league uh, in what we do. 
And many people can attest, that's not always the case where you get to work. Yeah. So for yeah. me, it's been rewarding. I get to work with people that in some cases were my mentors and mm-hmm. now they're my colleagues. Right. Yeah. It's pretty unique like that. Yeah. Well, I know you have become a mentor for many also. Your knowledge and your booming personality mm-hmm. is definitely an asset it's to the a league. a polite way of putting it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is about the tamest I've seen Scott. I mean, if, you're, if anybody knows him, uh, he's, uh, he's got a humor to him that uh, is pretty fun to be around. And um, you often make our staff meetings quite enjoyable. This is, you know, again, this is pretty tame. And I haven't been called HR over it yet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Scott, thanks for coming on to Square. Thank you, folks. The Square is brought to you by the Iowa League of Cities. Come and see us at www.iowaleague.org. Okay, this month we have a new segment. We're going to catch up with our legislative team and see how things have started off at the Capitol. I have Robert Palmer, our Government Affairs Director. How are you today, Robert? I'm great. Thanks for having me. And thank you to all of our members who stay engaged throughout the legislative process. Our job is to represent your city's interest in the state capitol, and we need you to do that. Every time a member reaches out with their thoughts or comments on legislation, it helps us define who our voice is in the capitol. Also, keep up that engagement with your legislators, and believe me when I say that they listen and your voice has a great impact on our efforts in the capitol. I know the session just began. Uh, What can you tell us so far? Well, the legislative session began last week on Monday, January 13th. The first week was primarily consumed by ceremonial activities such as the condition of the state, condition of the judiciary, and condition of the National Guard. And, you know, while there were very few subcommittees, there have been many, many bills or pieces of legislation introduced this year. Also, the legislation from last year uh, it, that did not pass is technically still alive since we're in the second session of a General Assembly. So there's a lot of active bills out there. Can you explain to me a little bit what that means when you say the second session of a General Assembly? Each General Assembly is two legislative sessions long. The first is uh, traditionally thought of as where most of the, the work will occur from a, the perspective that it's 110 days long. And the second session is normally thought of as being a little bit shorter. Uh, Based on per diem, it's given 100 calendar days. And the thinking is that legislators will want to get done early so they can get out and start campaigning. All right. I I follow now. Um, So what are the league's priorities starting off this legislative year? Boy, that is a broad question. And from the perspective that, you know, the league has an interest in advocating on many pieces of legislation, many priority areas, everything from employment issues to Uh, economic development to water quality. So we're registered on a good number of bills right now. Uh, We'll be registered on a lot more in the coming weeks. But perhaps the most impactful thing we've heard the first week is the governor's Invest in Iowa Act. This bill would increase the sales tax by one cent, so I'm sure a lot of people have heard about it. It's it's in a lot of newspapers right now. We haven't yet seen the bill, uh, but it will use that increased revenues to fund the I Will Trust Fund, which is water quality, mental health, and income tax cuts. So the governor did talk about the bill and the condition of the state. Like I said, we haven't seen the legislation yet, so you know it's hard to go through the language and see exactly where all the, the commas and uh, dot the I's and cross the T's. Uh, but when we see that, we'll certainly be looking to make sure that it covers point sources for our members' water quality needs. Uh, it does also have a property tax component, although that looks to be just an impact on the county mental health levy at this point and not on any city revenues. And do you have any parting advice you would like to give the audience? 
Things move very quickly in the Iowa State Capitol, so keep an eye out for your legislative link every Friday. Action alerts on significant impacts, uh, legislation that impacts cities very significantly. And of course, do not hesitate to reach out to Daniel and I through phone or email if you have any questions or if you need help getting in touch with your legislators. All right. But thanks for stopping by. Uh, we'll hope to see hear from you in another segment next month, maybe. Thank you. Hope to see you in the Capitol. All right, we are back with the question of the month here to try mm-hmm. to stump Mr. Shields himself. <laughs> the question this month is how does the city update their utility rates? Well, that's a something uh, that a lot of cities ask. And from a basic standpoint, you have to follow Section 384.84 of the state code, which says uh, for a city-owned and operated system, you have to update your rates by ordinance or establish your utility rates by ordinance. There is a little provision in there that says for cities that uh, have a separate utility board, they can uh, uh, change their rates by resolution. So there's a little bit of a quirk there in the law. But for most cities, uh, that's, uh, the city council owns and operates directly the, the utility system. You need to change your rates by ordinance. You have to go through the normal ordinance procedures with the first, second, and third readings, or you can uh, waive the second and third readings uh, by a separate vote uh, with no less than four-fifths approval of the council. Now, one thing I'd tell you as a city, when this comes up, the other piece of advice I give the cities is you should be looking at your rates every year. Even if you think that the current rates are pretty solid, they're bringing enough revenue to operate the system, something a lot of cities fail to look at is the future. And every utility system out there, water, wastewater, uh, if you have other utilities, uh, telecom or what have you, they are going to need upgrades down the road. And those upgrades are going to be expensive and they're going to cost more than what you have in your annual operational budget. So you need to make sure that not only you bring in annual revenues with your rates that cover the annual expenditures to just do the daily service, you also need to bring in some revenue to save for those future upgrades because they will come down the road at some point. So make sure that, uh, again, your rates reflect what you need to operate your system on an annual basis, but also take care of capital improvements that you're going to face sometime down the road. Bam. Nailed (laughs) it right there. Look at that. Yeah. that's We could go on and on about that particular topic. In fact, we have workshops at at our conference and small city workshops. We've done this exact topic because it's, it's uh, it's a lot harder than you think. Most cities do not want to change their rates. They, they feel like they don't want to increase rates ever, or taxes for that matter. And I totally understand that. It's hard to ask people to pay more, but uh, things get more expensive over time. Mm-hmm. You've got to invest in your city. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you guys have questions um, that you want Mickey to answer, you can either give him a call, one, or mm-hmm. give Bill a call, and or you can email the square at iowaleague.org. And Anytime, day or night. We will be happy to answer your questions. We question. never sleep. That's right. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> not really. No, not especially when you got a five-year-old with strep throat that's yeah. going through uh, some fever dreams. It's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's another story for another day. But uh, as always, thanks for listening to The Square. We'll see you next month.